This week on Writers Inc. I personally like writing in different, like first person, third person, just to make it interesting. Because you're, you're sat there like writing a hundred thousand words, and you're like, how can I make this better fit to myself as well? But also, I quite like it to differentiate between the different voices. So, like with Stace, it's third person past tense, and then you've got Olivia, first person present tense, and then yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think um, that was I, I liked doing that to make it interesting to differentiate different voices um and i think also you can tell i think when you've got a first person you you, you get different side of things don't you with a third person you get more i suppose a bit more of a rounded view of what's going on but with the first person you get the thoughts and the fears so it's quite fun to write in different i, th- I would definitely recommend yeah i think it's um it's, it's fun to write i think it's more, i personally find it more interesting to write in different J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. All right. So, Zach, now that it's January, how are things going at the North Pole? <laughs> My dad's the one who really looks like Santa Claus. Really? Oh, uh, he looks. Uh, he actually told a story when we were down there for Christmas. Which, by the way, hello everybody. I know I've been gone forever. Um, <laughs> You've been delivering presents. I was only supposed to miss two straight episodes, but then the 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 first one I missed. Uh, my they were they were working on my internet for like two straight Thursdays and like really messed with it. So. Um, did I miss three or four? I don't even know how many I missed at this point. But um, no, my dad actually had somebody walk up to him at the grocery store. Some guy got like right in his face and started saying like, I want a bicycle. I want like started like telling him all this stuff. <laughs> my, my dad, I'll, I'll have to send you a picture. He looks just like Santa Claus. It, it's it's hilarious. Nice. So yeah, he's got a beard. <laughs> he has a beard like me, but he has, he has hair and it's long and it's it, it's all white. It's really funny. So I'll, I'll, have to, I'll send you a picture of them. I, I thought you brought that up because they actually got snow in Tennessee. Like I'm, oh yeah, I'm yeah I was for that. Yeah. <laughs> it snowed the day after I left. It dropped down to zero degrees, and and I looked at my ring cameras at my house, and there was snow on the ground, and uh, there were power outages, and they were doing rolling blackouts because the power grid got all messed up. They started the Tennessee Titans game an hour late because of it. And that's never happened. Like they've never had the power issues they had. So I don't really know what happened, but, um, but I wasn't here for any of it. I was in Mississippi, which was, uh, it was super cold for them too, but it was like 12, which I know for where you guys are, that's nothing, but that's cold for down there. And well, they had all kind of pipes burst. And I saw in the news, <laughs> that's just, don't, again, we, right? uh, we don't have to get started on that. <laughs> okay. That ja- Jackson has had problem with water for years and it's that, that city's so poorly run. And that, that's, the, that's been going on. That was a big story last year about the water yeah. stuff. And it just got worse because of all the cold and the pipes bursting. And, um, that's, a it, it's, it hasn't gotten the same sort of, um, uh, press that like the Flint, Michigan thing got, but it, I would argue it's probably just as bad. Like, nice. cause that's right outside where my parents live. So 
we've got a bunch of rental properties in that area. And my wife was just freaking out because, you know, the holidays, like that's our biggest paydays. You know, like people are booking, you know, weeks or two weeks for their entire family vacation. Um, you know, just book solid. And like all of her friends and like this Facebook group that she's in, like they were all reporting back about burst pipes at their rental and like having to turn people away. Um, you know, and these are people that book their vacation sometimes a year or two out because it's so tricky to get it. Um, at our Georgia house, uh, they actually got snow too. And the family that was supposed to stay there, they wrecked their car, like totaled their car on the way to the house. Um, but they ended up coming like a day later. They, they still, they still did it. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's been nutty. We, we didn't have any burst pipes or anything. And what's weird though is I'm in new England and like, we've got zero snow. Like I've got an, yeah, uh, that's weird. Yeah. Weather's, weather's been nutty everywhere. Crazy, crazy. Well, yeah, um, we wanted to, uh, Zach and I are back here together. We wanted to let listeners know that, uh, we got some changes coming up on the show. Uh, Zach and I are kind of we're going to be kind of stepping away uh, temporarily, I guess. And, uh, we, you know, we have we're going to have some new co-hosts that JD's kind of kind of uh, bringing on here. I don't think this is going to I won't speak for Zach. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone. You know, I've talked about how I'm sort of taking my business in a different direction and uh, and really focusing more on the entrepreneurial side, um, entrepreneurial education. And and so I think it, you know, it makes sense to have uh, co-hosts and people doing the interviews, uh, you know, who, who are really into it and, and can do a bang up job. And that's why we brought Christine on, um, you know, late last year. So, uh, yeah, there's there's sort of no definitive. We're, we're not like, you know, we're not walking away completely or we're um, and, but we're also not going to be on on a regular basis. So just want to let listeners know that that's kind of in the pipeline. Yeah, we uh, for for me personally, too. I mean, I. Yeah, I, I've, I've mentioned on here, you know, that I went through a divorce last year. And so, um, you know, I've been really adjusting to being a single dad. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm living on my own for the very first time in my adult life, which is because uh, I literally went from living, me and my ex-wife got together really early. Uh, she was like, she was just graduating high school when we started dating. So, like, I literally went from living with my parents to living with her. So, um so it's just been a big adjustment. And this year I really just want to uh, like really put a lot of focus on my fiction and, and, and some different things I have in the works regarding that. So, um, you know, with the time I have with, you know, having to pick my daughter up uh, multiple days a week and, and all that stuff, it's kind of cut my days a little shorter and it's just, uh, yeah. So, so that was, that's kind of for me, I guess, why, you know, kind of taking a step back. Well, unfortunately for listeners, I'm not going anywhere. They're stuck with me. <laughs> Um, and Christine's been doing a, a fantastic job and we've got a number of people that are, are going to be coming in, um, you know, almost like a revolving door of, of guest hosts, which I think is going to be fun for a little bit until we settle in on, on who's going to be filling these feet, you know, the, the spaces. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, obviously I wish you both the best. You're, you're always welcome to come back, you know, anytime you want. Um, you know, this, this industry is just, it's so fluid and changing constantly. Um, you never know where, you know, what things are going to look like a year from now. Uh, speaking of that, um, think, well, things not changing. We've got Harper Collins day 50 of their strike. Um, it's, it's getting really ugly, um, at, at this point, particularly for the people that are actually going in and working. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I feel for all of them. I mean, some people have no choice, you know, other people are on that picket line and you know, they, it's, it's rough. It's bad for everybody. Um, but hopefully now that we're in the new year, you know, lawyers are back in their offices, you know, and, and, and they're going to hopefully get some type of resolution. Um, I saw some, this is, I guess, kind of industry news. Um, it's more on the, the film side, you know, the movie theaters have had a really rough time 
time since since COVID hit. A lot of them just you know got forced to shutter their doors. Um, you know, Top Gun Maverick actually saved the day in a lot of ways. It raised so much money, allowed some of these companies to to stay around. Um, Cinemark just unveiled something brand new. It's a three sided movie screen. Um, so basically, you walk in the theater and your left and right walls are part of the screen, and then you've got the screen in front of you too. So you're more or less immersed in it. It's almost like you're sitting in the middle of whatever the action is. Um, there's only a couple of theaters in the U.S. U.S. right now where you can see this, um, and I believe they're showing Black Panther, uh, the original one. Um, but if you get a chance, check that out or at least Google it. Um, and I just I wanted to mention a show I've been watching on Netflix. It's really cool. It's called Kaleidoscope. Um, it's got the guy who owns the chicken restaurant from Better Call Saul and, and um, Breaking Bad, um, who obviously apparently doesn't have an accent, which threw me a little bit oh, watching yeah. him. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring this up is it's got nine episodes and everybody watches it in a different order. So as soon as you log into the show for the first time, Netflix basically decides what order you're going to watch these episodes in. And it just it slings them out at you. So every viewer basically has a different viewing experience. Um, and I was really curious how they were going to pull this off. And basically what they're doing is each episode is a different slice in time. So this one is three years ago. This one's mm-hmm. two years ago. This one's a week ago, that kind of thing. Um, so it does make sense out of order. Um, but I'm seven episodes in of the nine. I, I thought I would get confused with that kind of thing going on. And I, I haven't. Um, it's played out perfectly fine. Um, so if you get a chance, check that out um, for two reasons. It's a great story, but also a, a really creative idea that, you know, I, I don't know who came up with it, but, you know, kudos for Netflix putting it out there. I'd like to see more of this sort of thing. Yeah, that's crazy. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, it's just it's, it's weird. I mean, it's, a, it's just a very neat idea. It's almost like those choose your own adventure books that they used to have back in the day. Um, but it's a it's a show. Hmm. I didn't know he didn't have an accent. That's crazy. <laughs> there, there's that, too. <laughs> Oh, crazy. Yeah. Anything, uh, personal updates or anything projects you're working on? I'm still trying to wrap up that, that latest book. I'm at, uh, I think chapter 80 out of 103 of, of the final, final draft. So I should be done with that hopefully in the next week or so. And then I can pass it on to my beta readers and my agent and, and move on to the next one. What about you guys? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I, you know, took two weeks off for the holidays, which, I told myself all year I was going to do and and was able to stick to it, which was really cool. Like I took my computer to with me to Mississippi um, or I took my iPad actually and take my computer, but I took my iPad set up and um, there was one day where I sat and wrote a little bit, but I mostly just like hung out in a coffee shop. But other than that, I took time off. So yesterday as we're recording, this was my first day back and um, I had, it was really weird getting back into the story. Like a part of it, I pick, I just kind of picked right up, but um, I had forgotten that I left myself with a big problem I hadn't resolved. So instead of writing yesterday, I had to sit down with my, you know, pencil and paper, iPad and pencil and, uh, and really figure some stuff, some plot stuff out. And, but I was able to do that and, uh, and hit hard today and has been getting a lot done today. So, um, yeah, so still working on the last book in my dead South series and, uh, yeah. So trying to wrap that up so I can move on to some other things for this year. I've got plans. So. Nice. Nice. I, um, sent a print job to the office Depot printing, uh, desk here. And I'm, I have, uh, three, three, um, beta reader copies. I'm going to be mailing out tomorrow. So JD, I'm going to use your, your method. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it with like probably four. I don't think it's going to be six, probably going to be three or four people, but I'm going to, uh, you know, going to have them mark it up and then get them all back and sort of lay them all on the table all at the same time. And, um, shout out to both, um, to both Patrick, Sarge, Patrick and Stephanie Bond who uh, helped me with, uh, some, some aspects of the story that I'm, I'm really excited about that were, you know, not my strong point. So 
yeah, my mystery project's moving along. I'm totally over-resourcing the first book. I'm doing way more uh, structural work and prep work and pre-writing and and revising than I will for future books because, as you guys know, that first book is so important. Um, and you know, so it'll it'll the other one shouldn't take me as long. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm getting ready to ship this one out, and you know, next step will be editor, and you know, we'll we'll go from there. Cool. All right. Uh, so JD, who's up uh, for the guest spot today? We've got Claire Douglas coming on. She's the author of, of multiple thrillers. Her latest um, novel, which is out, is called uh, The Couple at Number Nine. Uh, that one hit number one on Amazon, number three on the Sunday Times. Uh, her latest book is called The Girls Who Disappeared, and it releases in about a week or two. Uh, so here she is, Claire Douglas. Okay. So you have a new book, The Girls Who Disappeared, a jaw-dropping thriller about a journalist's investigation of a tragic mystery that was never meant to be solved. And the only people who don't lie, cheat, and manipulate are the horses. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about the girls who disappeared? Yeah, so it's about it's about a group of four girls who, in 1998, um, are driving down this sort of notoriously um, spooky haunted road called the Devil's Corridor. Um, it's sort of set in a, a sort of place like a bit mystical. Um, and in in the UK, we have sort of these. I don't know if you have this in America too, but. We have those like little towns where there's like all this sort of like folklore around them, like with standing stones and, you know, there's all these mystical little shops and it's one of those types of places. And they're, they're driving down this spooky road and they have a car crash when the main driver, um, Olivia, sees someone walking into the road or she thinks she sees like a shadow or something in the road. So she swerves. She has an accident. Um, she She's blacked out. When she wakes up, her three friends are missing. They're gone. They've disappeared. And then 20 years later, she's obviously a grown woman now. She's 30 eight or whatever um and she uh she never knows what's happened to her also she claims she never knows what's happened that night to her three friends so then a journalist comes along called jenna um to make a podcast about this infamous case and obviously starts digging into the small town and then yeah things start happening <laughs> yeah and i loved um how the past was so steeped in nostalgia just the music the pixies <laughs> kurt cobain the chemical I brothers love- <laughs> i felt like i was back in high school <laughs> It's because I was the age that they were in 98. So I think that's why I was like, oh, brilliant. Same, right? Same. (laughs) Oh, man. I was just like being back in high school. I'm going to put on my plaid. I don't know. It's called. Yeah. (laughs) So you previously worked as a journalist for 15 years. And I'm curious how much of this has pulled from, from your experience. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was, but, um, and so, you know, obviously experiencing what it was like to like have to, you know, poke your nose in where you, People don't necessarily want you to put your legs in, <laughs> which can be a bit awkward sometimes. Um, so that sense of it with Jenna having to like knock on doors and having to try and get people to talk to her and people not really wanting to talk to her, that was based on experience. But I've never made a podcast. So the podcast side of things, yes, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I had to like do a bit of research into how it all works. <laughs> oh, we love podcasts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's such a brilliant thing, podcasts. It's a much more, because I think she started off writing for a mystical magazine. Mm-hmm. And then my editor was like, what about her being a podcast podcaster? I was like, yes, that's so much better. And much yeah. more you know, in keeping with modern times. So yeah. now you're on a podcast talking about making a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, did you actually used to call in and file stories over the phone? Was that? I did. Yes. What? A nightmare. <laughs> that must have been. <laughs> it was so stressful. So I think it was around early 2000s. 
And I used to work for an agency and we used to have to like trek around, you know, like London. I was working in London. And then we'd have to get the story. And then because there wasn't enough time for me to go back to the office to write it up, I used to have to ring through, ring the story through and talk on the phone to the editor. I was so stressful. So I used to try, I used to sit there on the curb on the pavement and try to write a little bit of it because I thought I can't do it all off the top of my head. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was the worst part for me. I find that quite stressful. Oh, I guess, you know, technology is good for something. I know, I know. <laughs> so was there any story you worked on as a journalist that significantly impacted you or made your way into its fiction? Um. So my book before this, which was called The Couple at Number Nine, that was based on, I, when I was a journalist, I, there was a, a young couple that had moved into um, a house and they were renovating and they found a body, like a skeleton. But it, it dated back to like like Roman times or something. But uh, that gave me the idea for that one. But with this, with The Girls Have Disappeared, it was more about just having that group of friends when you were like 18, drive, like taking interns to drive and being that friend and thinking, what if you... So that it happened to your friends when you were driving them home and you had that guilt, for, like, you know, it was like your fault sort of thing, really, like because Olivia crashed the car. Um, and that, that was where that stemmed from, that idea. So that, even though that wasn't necessarily a story that I had actually covered, that that's where that came from. But then Jenna obviously was part, you know, experience. From yeah, mine. it's yeah. great when you can use your own experience. <laughs> yeah, it just makes it so to. much more authentic, you know. So... <laughs> But you started your writing career after winning a publishing contract with HarperCollins through Marie yeah. Claire's first three chapters competition. Can you tell us about how yes. did that get the ball rolling for you after that? Yes. So, um, so I, I had so that I didn't. So when I entered that competition, I'd only written three chapters of this, this book, and I'd already written another book before that. But it was more of a like a rom com type book. So I, but I really preferred the book that I sent in. So I thought I'm going to send it in. I didn't really expect to hear anything. And I thought I'll carry on working on it. But obviously I didn't carry on working on it. I had kids and I was like busy. And then I get this thing called, is that one? And I was like, oh my God, I've got to write the rest of it now. <laughs> so I was a little bit, even a bit excited. I was like, oh no, I've got to write it because I haven't written it. And to try and write a book in a deadline, which I've never had to do before because, you know, I'd always written for myself, like in my spare time. So, but that was quite a good learning curve, I think. Um, and then after that, um, that was with HarperCollins in the UK. And then um, I moved to Penguin in the UK. And then um, and then just it just sort of led to more books being published. And yeah, just, and now I'm on my ninth. God. Wow. And was that the first time you'd entered a writer's contest? Yeah. Well, actually, I'd, I'd, with that one, I had, done, I had done a few others before. I never got anywhere, not even shortlisted. So I didn't, you know, I sent it off thinking the same way I'm going to win this. or But I just thought I'd do it because, I, you know, might as well. It was literally like one of those, I might as well do it. But I didn't, I honestly didn't think anything would come of it. Yeah. So how did you navigate just kind of getting thrown into the deep end of traditional publishing that way? It was quite frightening. It was definitely a learning curve because I remember going, so after that I won the competition, I had to go meet an editor that who was going to work on the book with me. And that was like, I'm really scared. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be meeting an actual editor, like an actual, like I'd been dreaming about it for so long. And then through that competition, I met my agent. And again, I was really nervous when I met her for the first time. But now you sort of get, you know, now it feels more. But yes, at the time, I was like, I, was very, I felt quite intimidated by the whole thing. You know, I felt like a bit like imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean? I thought yeah. I feel like it should be, I feel like it's been some mistake. <laughs> They've made a mistake. They've just, so yeah, so that for a long time, I think, I think probably till about my fifth book, where I think that was that with then she vanishes. I think that's when I started to feel a bit more confident. But before that, it was I still felt very sort of like you know like I'd wandered into some 
Yeah, it's just an amazing experience just getting thrown in and you just ran with yeah. it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was quite really strange. But yeah, but I still have to pinch myself because I still think I can't believe, I still can't believe it sometimes. When I'm writing, I think I'm getting paid to write fiction, which I've always wanted to do. So that is, it's lovely. Yeah. So I, I have some craft questions for you about your fiction. So The Girls Who Disappeared alternates first person and third person points of view. You've got Jenna and Olivia, and then there's Stasis' third-person point of view that's in italics in another location, oh, yeah. another timeline. <laughs> Why did you make that decision, and would you suggest that other writers give it a try? Yeah, I think it's fun. I, I think I personally like writing in different, like, first-person, third-person, just to make it interesting. Because you're, you're sat there, like, writing 100,000 words, and you're like, how can I make this fun experience to myself as well? But also I'd quite like it to differentiate between the different voices. So like with Stace, it's third person past tense. And then you've got Olivia, first person present tense. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think um, that was, I, I liked doing that to make it interesting to differentiate the different voices. Um, and I think also you can tell, I think when you've got a first person, you, you, you get different sides of things, don't you? With a third person, you get more... I suppose a bit more of a rounded view of what's going on. But with the first person, you get the thoughts and the fears. So it's quite fun to write in different... I, th- I would definitely recommend, yeah. I think it's um it's, it's fun to write. I think it's more, I personally find it more interesting to write in different points of view. Yeah, and it was delightful to see it all in one book because that's not very common. You usually see it one or the other. And I'm like, this is yeah. interesting. And I just thought <laughs> it, it was, you know, something that people can look to to see how you can do that because you don't see it a lot. So that was yeah. great. <laughs> Um, so you stated that you wrote one of your books quickly during the pandemic for fear that there would be another lockdown and you would have yes. to homeschool again. Yes. What do you think? Are there advantages to writing a book quickly? I think there is, actually. I, I Because that book was the, well, probably the easiest one. That was the couple of number nine. And that was the easiest one I think I've written because I think because I, because I had to write it within like three or four months as quickly as possible. I I remembered it all. I think I remembered what was going on. Whereas if I take a year to write and I go back to it, you know, like you sort of almost forget what you've written to start with. And you're like, you've got to keep going back over it and think, oh, what did I what did I write there? But, but this one, I, I remembered it all so much in my head that it definitely felt more fully formed. And I think and maybe as well because I had lots of time to think about it before I started writing it, because you know, in between those homeschooling, well that my I was trying to teach my son maths my brain would wander off to like <laughs> thinking about the book. And so I think once I sat down and wrote it, yes, I really remember really conscious thinking there's going to be another lockdown. And there had, and then there was another lockdown after that. So I'm really glad I did that because it was true. There was in the January, there was another lockdown. So yeah. So write a book quickly and you'll remember <laughs> yeah, well, everything that's in it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in your end notes for, for Girls Who Disappeared, you said that this was one of the more complex books you've written and it was a little yeah. bit messy and out of control. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> but with the help of your editor, you saw more clearly how to make it tighter and cut nearly 15,000 words. Yes. I, what it was, was that process like? How did you decide what to cut? I, well, there were so many like loose ends. So there was one part in it where there was going to be, a, there's, a, there's a character called Rolf and his caravan was going to get torched. And I don't know why, I was thinking, just to make it a bit like dramatic. And then as I started writing, I thought, I don't actually know where the storyline goes at all. So, so I was like, so the editor was like, just cut it. You don't need it. You don't need it. You've got enough going on in this book. You don't need an extra storyline with something else. Going. So I just cut all that. So all that. So that was, that really took a lot of words out. Um, 
but it was it was because when I started writing it, I was like, what? Where are these girls gonna? What's I had the hook, but then I was like, what am I gonna do with these three girls? Where are they? I've gone. I got you know where they where they gone? Um, and I had to have all these different theories about where they could have gone as well. So like that was like the whole aliens thing, you know, the whole sort of mm-hmm. mystical thing. Like there's all these different like things being branded about. So um, that was a difficult thing. I think I think it was definitely my most common. I think it was a big sort of quite a difficult idea to try and get rid of three people. <laughs> like yeah, one <laughs> one person, but having three different yeah, that was a challenge. I don't think I'd be quite so. I think I'd be a bit more careful next time <laughs> and so you think oh no how am I going to solve this <laughs> so you yeah. were surprised and that's then your reader is surprised too so, yeah. that's <laughs> uh, so you talked a little bit about uh, one of your earlier books um, I think it was called The Sisters that started out as oh, a rom-com yeah. and then did you end up changing that into a thriller yes so I had yeah so I spent like three years writing this sort of rom-com where there were like there was the sisters and then there was one that had died and she was going to sort of tell the story from like heaven you know it was all going to be sort of very sort of and then I sort of write and I finished the whole thing I'd written the whole thing and I was to the stage where I was about to send it off to like agents and everything and then this competition and I started I said the story about you know what would be the sisters and I just suddenly thought I prefer this darker version so it, it had the same sort of themes of loss and of twin dying and all that but it was darker and it just seemed to fit the story better um, so yeah, so, so I sort of, so I took some of the characters from the other one and then, but they, but then the story sort of progressed into more of a sort of psychological thriller, but yeah. So you but, did like a complete rewrite then. So it wasn't yeah, a revision. Yeah. You just kind of no, took the idea and the characters. Yeah, and... I took the idea, took some of the characters and then everything else was new really. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to know how does having other books on your desk help you combat writer's block? Yeah, so I love Lisa Jewell. Um, I know that she's, you know, big in America. Um, and I love, so, so I think she's, I've, like, I've read her books for like years, even before I was a writer myself. And I just find like, if I, books I really admire, like hers or like a Macintosh or, you know, people that I think are good writers. If I suddenly feel like, oh, I don't know, I can't do this. I read a bit of theirs and I'm like, oh yeah, so it gives me the, I don't know what it is. It gives me sort of like, um, oh yeah, I can do this. You know, you know, it just gives me that sort of like love of it back again. Um, so yeah, so I think, and also as well, like sometimes if I'm a bit stuck and I think, oh, how did this writer, you know, this sort of experienced writer move this particular passage on or like, you know, this scene on, how did they do it? Like to, to make it quick or to make it page turnery. And then Lucy Fone is another one as well, because she's very good at finishing a chapter and you wanted to read the next chapter. So I'm always like, well, how did she do that? So that's, I think that's what you're sort of still learning, even though like, and I've written books myself. I'm still learning from other writers and how they do it and what makes their books successful, what makes their books page turnery. Or so yeah. So I think that's that's why I like yeah. to have books on my desk. <laughs> I love that. And I think you're always learning, right? When you're not learning, yeah. then you're stagnant. So yeah, and yeah. just getting that master class and okay, how yeah. did someone else do this and work it? Yeah. Just getting you unstuck. I love that yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I've read that you're a very disciplined writer. Do you still work nine thirty till two thirty every day? I do, especially when I'm on deadline. So yeah. at the moment, because I'm on deadline with my new one, I've been really good at getting on my desk every day, 9.30, 2.30. Um, but then there's times where, like, say, when my book's handed in, I'll have a few weeks where I'm not writing. And then I'll do something really, like, I'll paint a room, <laughs> like paint a wall, because then I can start thinking about what needs to be done with the book. So I do have times when I'm not writing, but I'm still thinking about, you know, the writing. <laughs> so it's still there. But... 
But when I'm actually doing the writing, when I'm especially when I'm on deadline, yeah, I do try to be quite disciplined because, yeah, I have to be really. And that's a lot of creative energy. Can you write the whole time from nine thirty till two thirty if you need to? Sometimes I get distracted, <laughs> <laughs> like a Twitter or like you know any type of social media. Oh, like, so every some some days it's if I've got if I know what I'm going to write. I can get on with it and do it. But then sometimes, you know, when, it's, when it takes a while for words to come, I yeah. think, oh, I'll have a quick look on Amazon or I'll have a quick look on Twitter. And then I sort of get distracted. <laughs> and then it takes me like all day to write like 500 words. So yeah, some days are, I do get distracted. It's so hard, isn't it? To, yeah. And I was yeah. just, I was just looking at it. I'm like, wow, that's a long time to sustain creative <laughs> effort. Like, yeah. like let's all, get tired. <laughs> Only if I know what I'm going to write. Sometimes you have spurts of like, yes, I know yeah. what I'm going to do, but there's other times when I'm like, I just don't know how to make right. this all. Yeah. But that time's blocked out for writing so that when it... Yeah, I try. Yeah. Even you're if you're in like, it, you can get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even if it's just flicking through someone else's work or like reading someone else's just to get it back again. Yeah. Nice. And what <laughs> does that process of coming up with a book idea look like for you? Are you an outliner or do you just kind of free write or what, is, what does it look like when you're getting a new book yeah. idea? So I... I'll probably think of the hook first and then I'll think about how, if it's going to work. So like with the couple at number nine or the, because of this pit, I thought, okay, these two girls are going to be missing or there's bodies found and then try to, you know, think more about what's going to happen. I try to have a rough ending. Um, so I sort of know who the perpetrator is or, you know, and I like to know what the twist is as well. Um, and then I will do a, like a page. I'll just write a page of like a rough outline, even it might change. And then I'll start because I, especially with this, what I'm writing now, I've, a lot of the plot has come as I'm writing it. So even though I thought I knew what I was going to write about, as I'm writing it, a lot has changed. Um, so sometimes you work through the plot by writing it. I can't, some writers I know can have the whole book in their heads and write it, which I think is amazing. I wish I could do that, but I can't, I can't think of it all up front. Probably a bit like trying to write, <laughs> trying to, you know, do a, an article on top of my head. I can't, couldn't do that either. And I can't do that with my book. So kind of doing like a loose outline then and giving yourself yeah. a lot of room for creative yeah. inspiration yeah. And, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, so I read that you like to listen to soundtracks when you're writing. Yes. Yeah. What soundtracks are you listening to these days? So I'm just, so the one I've been listening to a lot is The sound, the Sandman. So I don't even watch The Sandman. I think it's on Netflix or mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't even watched it. But for some reason, it came up on my on my Spotify, and I thought oh, I'm just going to listen to that, and it's really good because it's quite moody. It's quite I can't listen to anything too jaunty. It's got to be quite dark and quite. So that one I've been listening to over and over again. And then sometimes it then you know how Spotify sometimes then finds you things that are similar and plays you that. So then it goes off, um, and then other other music comes in. But then the other day I was I was writing and suddenly Star Wars. <laughs> I was like, I can't write to Star Wars. I can't. It's no. too much. <laughs> it's too familiar yeah so, so i had to then go back but yeah so i think so the sandman has definitely been the one of this book and then last book was succession <laughs> the soundtrack to succession um but i can't use it so i want better to have listen to sandman next time because that one now is this book you know this it's book. weird like yeah so each book has their own mood and their own soundtrack yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i have one final question if you could offer one piece of advice to new and aspiring authors, what would it be? Well, I would definitely say don't give up because I literally was 39, I think, when my book, when I won the competition and then 40 by the time it was published. So, and I've been trying for years and years before that. I think 
I wrote my first novel at 23, my first full-length adult novel. Didn't get anywhere with it. So I think that was definitely one thing. If you really love it and you really think you want to do it, definitely don't give up. Just keep going. And you just have to believe that it's going to happen for you one day. I think there's so many times when I thought, like I didn't let myself think, I, you know, I, I thought this has to happen at some point. <laughs> so I think that. And also I think reading a lot, reading a lot of the genre you want to write in and using those books as I like textbooks almost to sort of see how they, you know, how they, why, why they work as a, as a filler or whatever. Um, like I do still, I still do that, um, to see, yeah, how, how it's moved on, how stories have moved on, how the ending works, you know. So, yeah, so I think those two things, don't give up and read a lot. That's great <laughs> advice. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. All right, Christine, did a great job with that interview. A uh, lot of interesting tidbits. I, I kind of jotted down things I wanted to talk about. Uh, the journalism background, that seems to be a pretty common theme amongst a lot of writers. You know, I, first of all, I, I, I got flashbacks when she mentioned phoning in the, the stories because I used to have to do that too. I, I used to work for Sun Sentinel and um, uh, the paper in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and and I, I always had to write it down first and then read it off because you're basically either talking to a live person or it's going into a voicemail box and somebody's transcribing it. Um, but anybody who's listened to me talk on the show knows that I say, um, every other, you know, every other word and like to, to actually rattle off a thousand words or 500 words, even 300 words on a story. It's tough, you know, to, to be able to do that. I, I've got a lot of respect for newscasters as just jump on live and just pull that off without a teleprompter. Um, but I, I do think it helps you, you know, be, from a structure standpoint, because you've, you know, even if you're phoning it in, like they basically have to come up with your beginning, middle and you're, you know, you have to hook everybody, you know, the, the various pieces of the story don't change. Um, other than, you know, in that case, you have to, you have to do that. And I think having a journalism background, I think it forces that hand, you know, you've, you've got an editor who's just screaming at you to get it right. Is that where phoning it in came from? You know, it, it very might be. I, I really don't know. Like, I, I, want, I, I don't know either. Like, it, it's, it has to be, right? There's got to be some connection between that idiom and that. We should look it up. I had to explain to a friend last night where Jump the Shark came from. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which was, uh, which was funny. So. That that explanation gets longer and longer every year because now you you know like people used to remember what um like what show was that now I don't happy remember days. Happy, happy days, days. Yeah, yeah I just I remember Fonzie but like you know you have to go back and explain that and then like who's Henry Winkler who's, yeah, who's Fonzie yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fonzie what's Happy Days what's what's a what's a television you know like what is a like, shark yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was you know, a scary episode something else in this interview that I thought like I was like Zach I I kind of think I know where you are on this but I wanted to ask you because. Uh, I'll be completely honest. I'm not a fan of this. Uh, first person and third person POV in the same book. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan either. And I know this is something JD's done. Um, I, I I understand why people do it. Um, for me, it's a little jarring. Like when I, for me, when I, when I open a book, and this is just from a reader experience. So this is where I'm taking it from. And this is why I've never done as a writer. When I open a book, and it's first person. It's from that person's perspective in the first chapter. I, that, I'm expecting it to be just that person's perspective the whole book. To not have another first person perspective. And also to not have like a third person perspective coming in and out. Um, now, again, that's a reader preference. I understand why, why people do it. Um, but for me personally, it's just... 
I kind of want to be along with that one character for the whole book and stay close to them in that for in that first person. So uh, that's definitely something I stick I stay away from. And usually, honestly, if I read a book like that and it starts doing that, I'll I'll bail. I'll put it down. Yeah, honestly, I've done all of them. Um, it, for me, the perfect mix is first person for the main character and third person if you have to have any other characters. Um, I, I have a really hard time writing a single book 100% in just first person narrative. Um, and mainly because like when I'm writing it, like it, it helps for me to be able to jump from head to head a little bit. So I'm writing one person's perspective, I get stuck, I can jump and write the next person's perspective or you know somebody else in the story and I can come back to that first one later. I can kind of bounce around and and keep the story going. And if I'm writing the whole thing 100% in first person, you know, obviously it has to be linear and it's, it's a lot more difficult to do that. Um, when Patterson and I wrote Coast to Coast Murders, he actually had two first person narratives um, in there, which I thought was, I, like, I didn't agree with doing that. I, I understood why he did it. And if you read the book, you'll understand there's a very good reason for it. Uh, but it is confusing. Um, yeah, I think if you have your main character in first person, I think you can pull it off. Um, but, but other than that, I wouldn't take it too far. The, the flip side to that is, uh, you know, I just fin- the mainstream thriller I'm writing is 100% first person POV present tense, um, 80,000 word thriller. And the the benefit of that, just look, looking at it from the other side, is that there's 100% consistency in voice, right? Because yeah. your, your first person POV is the narrator um, and, so, and everything is filtered through that na- narrator's perspective, even dialogue. So it was an interesting experience for me to kind of write dialogue and and make the characters distinct by what they say with the understanding that the for, that the main character was the one telling the story so it's a bit of a you know it's a bit of a twist but what i found was that that consistency throughout the whole book made it easier for me to write that's a mystery novel right yeah, it's a mystery novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just, it you know, these different methods kind of lean towards, you know, one type of book or different types of book style, like a mystery that fits perfectly um, because you basically have your one person come in and they've got to solve that crime. Um, so the reader is experiencing it as they experience yes. it. And, it. and it works better that way because mm-hmm. you don't have, you know, a red herring coming out of left field that's going to throw them in third person. You've got, you know, it's no different than you as a, you know, walking into a situation and having to solve it, um, which I think is why it works. But then with, with other book styles, you know, like if you take sci-fi novel maybe or something like that it's it's more difficult to do but I, yeah. I think all of them are valid i think if, if they fit yeah i mean what you kind of mentioned one reason why i stay away from it is because you know and and especially in post-apoc uh it, it's it's good to be able to jump around and that's what a lot of readers also kind of expect they want to hear all these different people's stories so that's why i've always write those books in third person because um and I have a couple ideas for ones that I might write first person in the future that are in that genre. But for the most part, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to jump around to these different people's scenarios and stuff. And it's, to me, it's just way harder to do that. If you mix a first person in. Koontz likes to play with the tenses too, which is something else she brought up. Like he likes to write his bad guys in, in present tense and his good guys in past tense or, or vice versa, you know, depending on the book. Um, but, you know, a lot of times when you're reading the book, you don't realize who the good guy or the bad guy is unless you're actually digging into that tense. And he does it because it's a subconscious thing. You know, as the reader, like they don't even realize that they're switching tenses, you know, as they're going through that book. You know, when you're, when you're an author, you tend to pick up on that, but just a normal reader doesn't catch it. But they do notice that difference in voice subconsciously um, and it allows them to, to separate those things. So it's, it's a very cool thing. It's, it's I, everybody like if, if it's used properly, it's a great tool. Yeah. Yeah. 
something else she had brought up the devil's corridor i'm pretty sure like if that popped up on my gps i'd route around it <laughs> yeah i don't know about you guys but <laughs> yeah it didn't sound very appealing to me <laughs> yeah, certain roads i would stay away from um and she had brought up something that's you know it's better to write a book quickly uh, obviously yeah. you know I, I think if you finish the book within a month or two or three months even you know like you, everything is still fresh and it's just so much easier um i know I, I wrote that that haunted house book that i've been talking about for a while now and after i finish up my current one i'm going back to it and i finally figured out how i'm gonna end it and resolve the issues that i had um, but i'm gonna have to reread it you know just to get familiar with it again because it's been you know whatever a year year and a half or something since i wrote that thing um you know and if, if you're you know if writing's not your full-time gig and you're writing you know before work, after work, at your lunch break, that kind of thing, and just crank it out two, three hundred words a day. You know, it's, it's going to take you a year to write that book, and you're kind of in that boat. You know, it's difficult to remember what you put at the very beginning. Um, a lot of times, it helps to keep notes. You know, keep a, a you know some type of diary or some type of journal. You know, some bullet points um, along the way that that can be useful. Um, and and keep a real. You know, the one thing I've really noticed in reviewing a lot of those is voice. Like consistency in voice tends to change. The writer's voice changes from you know day one to you know a year later, um, where it doesn't really happen. You know as much if you're writing a whole book in three months. Yeah. It's uh it's funny. A lot, uh, you know, especially when you talk to people who either are like writing their first book or they've never written, it's interesting how people don't understand how you can write a good book in like three months or something. Like people have this idea in their head. And I think it's because of, I would guess part of it is because it takes it, for traditional publishing, it takes so long for books to come out and people don't understand that a lot of times those books are done like two or three years before, and it's just a schedule that they're on. So I think that's created this idea that it takes a lot longer to write a book than it does. And I'll say too, like, um, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but I also kind of disagree with you on like the whole full-time job thing, because my most productive year I had was when I had a full-time job. Like uh, it's, um, it's, it was a weird, it was one of those weird things where I, uh, like the time constraints I had, like knowing that I had to get up super early and I only had this amount of time to write before I had to go to work or I only had an hour on my lunch break or I only had this small time after my daughter went to bed or whatever. Um, like that forced me to like uber, uber focus on those times I was doing it. And like, I'll just be honest. Cause I'm not, I know this is something everyone deals with. I procrastinated less, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that I think a lot of people don't want to admit that they deal with, but you know, she mentioned it. She said, uh, that in, in the, with her schedule, you know, Christine was asking her if she writes all the time. She's like, no, I, I get distracted by social media and by all this other stuff. And I'm the same way. Like I, I get, I'll get just, even though I'm not on social media, there's still plenty of distractions, <laughs> you know, that, that I have, even if it's like, oh, I can go do laundry real quick, or I can do this or go, you know, pick up my, the corner of my room or something like that. Like it's, you know, so I, I think, uh, I think there's, is a lot to say about that too. Great interview, Christine. Uh, well done. It was interesting to hear again, you know, always getting into uh, writer's process is definitely a lot of fun. So that'll do it for uh, that interview. JD, who is up next week? Next week, we've got uh, Ewan Morrison, um, Irving Welsh. He's the author of Train Spotting. He actually called Morrison one of the most provocative, intelligent, and original novelists working today. Um, very fascinating guy. His, his latest novel is called How to Survive Everything, um, and he's going to be here to tell us all about it. And I believe that one just got optioned for television. I think I saw something about a week ago. Um, so that's going to be a good interview. Excellent. Well, if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. 
Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.